Are you ready to take your podcast to the next level? Then look no further than NAS Studios located in Seattle's Pioneer Square. Hi, I'm Blake. I'm the owner, in-house producer, and editor. We've got three cameras to capture every moment and can host up to eight mics, ensuring your podcast looks and sounds professional. We've got affordable pricing for podcasters at all levels. So what are you waiting for? Visit www.nasstudios.com. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Today, I'm with a DJ and producer that's originally from Seattle, and now they live in LA. They've been around for a while, and, and we honestly know all the same people, so it's just a matter of time for him to finally come on the show. It's my pleasure to have on DJ 100 Proof. Thank you for having me, man. Hell yeah. So what is 100 Proof? I mean, honestly, it was a DJ name that I came up with in college because we were partying. drinking brown liquor and <laughs> partying. And, you know, I even had like a rap group for a while called Logarithms that was all about like, you know, everybody had a, everybody had either a mathematic name or an, an alcohol related name. And uh, mine was the only one that stuck. And I've honestly kind of wanted to change it mm -hmm. for the past like 10 15 years but just i don't know once you secure all those ats and get mm -hmm. the emails and the website and uh, everybody just kind of calls me proof or hundo or whatever so it's stuck i mean it's not my favorite but mm -hmm. it's what i got and um honestly i've i've made the most of it like you know there were a lot of other people that had claims to the name yeah and i think and you look you look up anything online and, and I'm the first thing that pops up. So I You're feel good it. about that. I feel good that I did enough to be the the one hundred proof. So tell tell uh you hear otherwise. That's <laughs> that's who I am. Do you do you promote drinking then? Honestly, the one of the reasons this past year I've been wanting to um kind of reevaluate not only my relationship to DJing, but um my name and kind of rebrand uh just as a refresh is because i don't really drink okay. like i used to i yeah. mean i still do but i take uh i started taking a sober january that eventually turned into like a sober four or five months every mm -hmm. year so right about when the sun starts coming out again and it's summertime I'll start drinking again. I feel that. Like, I feel like any excuse on why you're not drinking besides actually, I mean, any excuse on that you can stop drinking versus just not drinking. Totally. is like, sounds like you're an alcoholic. Like, yeah. I'm like, I don't really like drinking, but I like the taste. And then, yeah. then just drink a soda. I'm like, well, I guess I like them. <laughs> well, I think when you remove yourself out of consistent um, nightlife and like hospitality and being around like friends that are bartenders mm -hmm. and DJing and just social atmospheres that are kind of built around drinking. I mean, mm -hmm. it's also built around music, but drinking is the business model, right? Yeah. So, um, or if you, yeah, if you're working for five nights a week and even if you're not getting drunk, drunk, you're still drinking a lot. Yeah. And so that's something that I like kind of took after my dad who does a sober January just as kind of like a reset every year. Nice. And I'm looking forward to it. And I do every January because by the time the holidays roll around, your boy has been <laughs> going <laughs> and needs, uh, needs a little break. And just a reminder that, um, you know, once you're about a week or so in, you don't, you don't care. You don't need to drink. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just kind of something that I think we become accustomed to and just is sort of, ingrained in what we deem like social activity and behavior and um the social lubricant so to speak so 
kind of nice to just be my 100% sober ass self for a little while. Yeah. And that's what the 100 proof stands for. There you go. <laughs> 100% sober. Yeah, 100% sober. <laughs> Shout out my homie DJ Sober in, in Dallas. Um, yeah, I do have a lot of sober DJ friends. Hell yeah. And I love it for them. Like, I don't know if I could ever be 100% sober. Like, I'll probably quit cutting. Like, I'll probably cut out, like, hard alcohol. Mm-hmm. I don't really drink beer at all anymore. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'm, a, I'm half French, so I love wine. <laughs> so I'm going to be drinking wine and... Uh, we got hooked during COVID on natural wine. So oh, what's natural wine? Natural wines is like un kind of unprocessed and less chemicals and uh less like industrialized wine. Okay. It's just kind of the natural progress and the fermentation and some of it's like pretty funky, you know? Oh. Like kombucha vibes. Okay. Um uh, but so it's got like shit in the bottom. Yeah, bottom. a little bit. A okay. little, little little crud in the bottom, but um <laughs> But it tastes, I mean, I've, I've gotten really accustomed to it. It tastes great. And it's way less um, of a hangover mm-hmm. or any kind of like, you know, nitrate type shit where you just feel super dehydrated or kind of just a miss the next day. And I don't really get that with natural wine. So, hell yeah. yeah. So, what, did you go to school for music at all, or what did you go to school for? Um, so I went to school for um, basically just general studies out of high school. Um, high school, I was really drawn to graphic design mm-hmm. and art. Um, I was a pretty well-rounded student. I was in the, I was into music, uh, was in band in middle school. Uh, had you know performed in my in my uh, my little pop punk band okay. doing uh, doing covers and what have you for the for the school talent show in middle school. Um, ended up doing band for a couple years in high school. Uh, was a drummer, okay. so grew up playing drums, which is kind of the natural drummer to DJ Pipeline is very real. I think. Really? You learn rhythm, you learn how to count bars, you learn um yeah, in general just how to keep tempo. I mean, you have a you have a built-in metronome in your head after a while. Mm-hmm. Also scratching becomes a lot easier because you know how to syncopation and doing like little um yeah, rhythmic sounds. Mm-hmm. So, very helpful. Um so I I was a drummer probably Middle school is when I really took it seriously, but I was banging on pots and pans and shit when I was a young kid. I don't know. I was really drawn to it. My parents tried to get me to learn like piano and all that kind of stuff. And drums was always what called to me mm-hmm. um, from a young age. And then in high school, uh, I was in jazz band. So I got to play jazz drums and also had my own little uh, pop punk rock group that we took a lot more seriously and played around town and like had a bunch of gigs and actually had a little following for a while, which was really fun. I mean, what was the name? Uh, 30 cent rascals. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, cover band in, um, middle school, uh, which we were the, the talk of the, the, uh, talent show was, uh, taste like chicken. Okay. (laughs) So it was very of the 90s. It was yeah. very of the time. I love, I would never trade it for anything, man. The 90s was fucking beautiful. Um, especially being a kid that loved uh, rock music of that era. Mm-hmm. Like, and obviously Seattle, well known for grunge. Um, yeah, rock was just pop music mm-hmm. in the 90s. So it was very much a part of uh, 
kind of what the cool kids did was, you know, have a rock band or whatever. It feels like that's not really the case that much anymore, but everyone's like a SoundCloud rapper. Like SoundCloud a- rapper, everybody's a DJ. Yeah. Uh everybody's doing TikTok dances. I don't know. Uh but I Only will fans, say, that's a good one. Too. What's that? Only fans, that's a big yeah, one. Yeah, too. too. Yeah. <laughs> anybody that's anybody that's making, you know, making a living for themselves and is happy with what they're doing, like do whatever you got to do. Yeah. Um so then that takes me to college um where i went to, i really fell in love with the graphic arts in high school um and i had a teacher miss cole who was great and kind of coached me and this will come back around because mm-hmm. that's my career now um but i was basically told that the, i got into uw and the graphic design program at uw was two years of art before you could even apply to the graphic design program. And I was like, I don't know, like you don't get accepted. You just got an art degree that you kind (laughs) of didn't want to begin with. And uh, my teacher just said, go get your, you know, go get your general education. You can go get a good graphic design degree at a community college or just continue teaching yourself. She kind of encouraged me like you show great promise, like go teach yourself. So I went to, went to UW and uh, studied history and political science which has nothing to do with what I do now, but just made me a, a more well-rounded and, you know, interesting human. Yeah. Um, Good dinner conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, plagued me with too much political knowledge that I wish I could just ignore. But, you know, once it's in you, it's in you. Um, and, yeah, I couldn't bring my drums, obviously. I, I was in a frat for a couple years, yeah. which was a great experience and also just a lot. And I couldn't do it for you know the entirety of four years but uh had some roommates in the frat that had dj equipment mm. and were messing around with like acid pro which is like kind of the beginnings of ableton mm. sort of that like sound manipulation and whatnot so uh basically in college i honed in like this desire to create and blend and make music because in high school um i guess there is a little bit more about the dj shit in high Mm -hmm. school i used to i discovered napster in high school okay which was also a crazy time um so i would be making cdrs and little custom like what was essentially like mixed tapes but you know mixed cds where you're just downloading all the songs you like and Mm sequencing them in order and i would do that for friends for like free weed or like you know try to impress girls or whatever or just for me in the car because i was such a music head yeah um so that was kind of the origination of like the creative aspect of like not only loving music but wanting to like do something with it Mm. um and then napster started having instrumentals and acapellas so I started messing around with instrumentals and acapellas on this little program called PC DJ, making my own blends, um, which I think was the way for me to use my inherent rhythm and creativity with music. And I carried that over into college, got introduced to a lot of other stuff. And then at one point, someone handed me the keys to the to the sound system for the parties because I was always the kid that had the new music mm-hmm. and uh, liked putting people onto new music, uh, enjoyed making sure the party was as good as it could be. So someone handed me the keys to the sound system one time and that was kinda, I fell pretty hard. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is a different kind of power that I like and a curation and uh, 
yeah, controlling the energy of of a dance floor is like, yes, yeah, one of the best things in the world. You're man. God. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of like had this conversation with some homies on <laughs> some deep shit, you know, and we're on some, you know, substances or whatever, where we're like, it's very, it, yeah, it's, right. It's very, um, there's almost like a spiritual kind of like shamanesque aspect. If you take people to a certain level where yeah. they reach a higher state or they, they have, there's like, a, you know, not to be woo woo, but there's like a little spiritual component to people releasing all their shit and forgetting about the, you know, their, their day, their job, whatever, and just dancing it out. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you can take them to that place, um, you're really, yeah, creating like a higher state for somebody and, and you also feel it and to get a whole room to that level. I just, yeah, I fell hard. What about the difference between like, sometimes you have to take someone to a higher state, but it's not the music you like. Does that, do you still feel like God or do you feel like you're just kind of like, the, the jester or joker. Yeah, or whatever, you know? I mean, I think the approach I've always taken is um, you're there to create a space for people to have a good time. Mm. Um, you don't have to like everything you play, but your job, if you're DJing for a crowd and there's a dance floor and your job is to make sure people are out there dancing, um, yeah, you got to do what you got to do, man. Yeah. And also, I think one thing that really helped me early on that allowed me to uh, create a bit more of a musical personality so people kind of expected the unexpected a little bit with me or at least gave me a little bit more leeway, like didn't just run up to me asking for top 40 music all the time. Yeah. Um, when I was coming up, DJing after college, bought turntables, like some busted ass old turntables on eBay yeah. from like Florida or some shit, like Technics from like a club from like 1975 or something like just great old, you know, turntable setup and started messing around with vinyl, started getting some gigs with vinyl. Serato came out and that opened so many doors musically to be like, okay, not only do you have to go, you don't have to go and buy what the, what the record store has for 12 inch singles. Mm -hmm. Like, I love that. I miss that. But also you can get so much more creative and have the the world of music is now available via turntables because it's all digital, right? Mm. So I had a couple homies when they saw what I was doing and I started making um, mixtapes, which is kind of the key that started opening everything for me mm -hmm. was mixtapes because I'm such a fan of music and just kind of a nerd for creation and like creating listening experiences or making visual art or just, yeah, I like making people feel something with, with music in that sense. And I think that was the thing that resonated with me most was listen to a couple different mixtapes, um, like shout out Monk One from Wax Poetics and like my homie DJ Bless One. There are some people that put out mixtapes that opened my mind to mm -hmm. be like, okay, you don't always have to just play for a crowd. You can play for yourself and record it and then build a following. Mm -hmm. So the people that get to know you get to know you for you and what you like instead of you just being a cookie cutter yeah. guy in the club that you do the same thing as everyone else. Someone could come in and charge 50 bucks less than you and take your job. But if you have a personality, you build your own following, your own kind of charisma and musical character, um, 
and kind of surprise people. Mm. Like I think being memorable is sort of a fine line, but that's sort of a lost art is a lot of people feel like they have to play all bangers or play exactly what the crowd needs all the time. Yeah. And there's an art to um, kind of playing in that gray area of, of allowing your personality to, to, to shine through, troll the dance floor a little bit, like play some stuff that's different, unexpected, but still fun and very like memorable. So people are like, damn, hmm. that DJ played that song I haven't heard in 15 years or like right. played this TV show theme song or like whatever the sing along song is at the end of the night, like. Little things like that where you can basically instill your personality into your sets. That's like, that's like nostalgia, though, right? That's kind of. Like, can you still play, like, new music? How does... I don't know. Like, because I'm... I mean... Obviously, I'm new to, like, doing shows outside of, like, actual yeah. concerts. So, so I think what was instilled in me is, like, there's... A, there's no such thing as bad music. It's just... Mm -hmm. or, or there's no such thing as, like... I guess, yeah, it's good and bad music are kind of like really the only distinctions. Like there's no genre I don't like. There's no like off limits thing. I mean, maybe country, but like even there's yeah. some country songs that are all right. It's yeah. whatever, you know. Uh, but I think it's either good and enjoyable and like fun to get down to or it's or it's just not. Yeah. And that was really how I approached it. And I think pop music is always going to be um, hard after a while because you just re repetitive nature of it but um it's a matter of i always look at it as a dance floor as kind of like a puzzle mm. that you put together throughout the night yeah you're looking at all the pieces right on the dance floor and you're looking at the pieces you have in your laptop and you want to put it all together in a way that it paints a really beautiful picture by the end of the night but there's some crazy looking puzzle pieces and there's some edges and there's some, you know, and you kind of got to find those things throughout the night. And the, the thing that holds it all together is the stuff people know. Mm -hmm. So you have to put in well-known pop stuff. You have to put in classics. You have to put in current stuff. And it's sort of up to you to figure out what that final picture is going to look like, mm -hmm. but you can't ever go so far in one direction or the other that you lose the, the picture entirely the so, dance floor you know so you're like looking at like races and genders yeah and everything and... i talked to my homie um who went from being a career dj to like uh he's like one of the top brand strategists in la yeah. now and he's just like such a genius he's got his phd in in philosophy and everything and he likens um djing to basically being able in real time to do like uh yeah real-time demographics testing mm -hmm. and like real-time uh feedback that you have to you have to not only keep your eye on the ball which is playing the music and making sure everything's like there's no hiccups in that process and, and throwing a little style and whatever, but you're also reading a room, which is a huge talent that takes a lot of time. Uh, it's not something that you're inherently can step in and just are born with, you know, you got to have a huge mu musical knowledge. You got to be able to like throw some testers out there and see who's responding. Also, um, like you said, I mean, it depends race, age, uh, what the, you know, if it's a company party or a wedding or a club or a themed night or mm. what have you, you kind of have some parameters um, 
but always for me, I'm looking for like in my per like my personal enjoyment and my personal like fulfillment of a night is if I'm in a room and there's like some older black aunties and uncles <laughs> <Yeah>. in there. <laughs> Because I'm just a tall, skinny, white kid that yeah. no one expects like much from. But when I can get deep and play some shit that makes them yeah. get down, because that's music I love, and they're like, "How you know about this?" Like that makes me feel really. <laughs> that makes me feel really good. Amazing. Uh, so I think it inherently depends on the room you're stepping into and the people that are in there. Mm -hmm. But that's the beauty of it is, uh, you have enough music now. And if you've been doing it for long enough and you love music enough, you should be able to put the pieces together mm -hmm. and then give people that experience by the end of the night. So do you think mixes and mixtapes are still important to, for a DJ to get their name out? Or is that just kind of like the path you took? I think personally, I think that can be the most important path you take. Mm. Um, no one has any one set path. I think everybody's kind of depends on what they want to get out of DJing. But if you want to build a personality, you want to expand your musical, not only knowledge and taste, but expand what's possible as a DJ, you can make mixes that are themed or have a vibe or create an experience and build a huge following off that. Hmm. And it's also just creatively fulfilling and like a fun exercise. Like some of my favorite mixes I've done are out of left field, like 90s alternative rock and you know, random up-tempo stuff or like, uh, you know, kind of like a bad weather cozy mix. Like there's just different vibes that as DJs, if you're a club DJ, you don't get to play outside of those types of things, like make mm -hmm. for yourself or, or put out for people to enjoy. And it's just a fun exercise. It's like keeping your, keeping your knives sharp, mm -hmm. you know? But are you, so, are you just doing that in Serato or do you take it into like a DAW or anything? Yeah, I kind of fine-tuned it over the years. Um, and, and one thing too, like honestly, one of the things that made me who I am and got the recognition I am as a DJ is is my backyard barbecue mixtape. Mm -hmm. Like I do this, uh, let's see, this past year was 16 years. Dang. So I can't believe I've been good enough DJ for 16 years to put out a public mixtape, right? But because coming from the Northwest and and summer being so important is cool to curate a summer soundtrack for my community. Mm -hmm. And like it grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. And I and my name is kind of like in a lot of places like synonymous with that mix, which is great. I'm super proud of that because it shows a lot of my personality and I think allows for um, you to listen to music differently as a human, where you're kind of like keeping your ear, keeping your ear to the streets for mm -hmm. like, oh, this would be a good, this would be a good vibe with the top down on a sunny day. Like it kind of, your antenna goes up a little bit where you're sort of always listening for the, the experience of like, could this go on a mix? Could I just, share this with people like i think it's all about sharing that feeling right mm -hmm. um so I, you were asking one question that i forgot about before oh so. no worries. i was just saying like do you just put it in serato right, or do right. you use a doll or? um so right now i use everything's in serato like mm -hmm. I, I dj through serato or vinyl i still have a lot of vinyl um but i record it into ableton okay 
and I have little mastering settings and everything to make sure everything sounds right. But if I'm doing a mixtape that's very intentional and that's very much like either very planned out or kind of on the fly where I want to have some flexibility, I record it in chunks or even sometimes like track by track so I can go in and just make sure all the levels are right and loop something if I have to, like add some sound effects. Um, I used to do mixes all in one take and it's just mind-numbingly like hard and frustrating and I can do it. And some of my best mixes are live mixes in the club. Uh, or mixes at an event or something where it's just like vibes and I'm in my zone and I love that too. But if I'm doing a very intentional like four listening experience mixtape, I like to do it in that in that form so I can have flexibility to go in and turn things down or up or even listen to the mix in its entirety and be like, this song just doesn't fit. Right. So I'm gonna take it out and I'm gonna figure out what the BPM is and add something in that that sounds better. So Ableton separated tracks and get like a little FX rack that kind of makes, makes your stuff sound booming and good and just rich, you know, cause sometimes recording in from Serato, it can sound a little light. So, yeah. So are you like listening to music throughout the year and then by the summertime, that's when you record or are you doing it throughout the man? I'm a nerd with my process. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you like, I've kind of developed this over the years uh, with the idea of mixtapes and then with just the idea of good music because I I like when I do events or like background vibe type of activations and stuff. Mm. I like to have a lot of different variety of music um, and and Spotify is a good way to find that, right? So what I'll do is I'll have playlists in Spotify. One is like, a download this playlist, which mm. is like, this is a banger. Like, yeah. get this shit immediately. Um, one is a quarterly, essentially like like scratch folder of just like quarterly, this is a song I liked, uh, Q1 2024. Yeah. And then I'll kind of organize that and release those quarterly as like my little fourth and back playlist on Spotify or whatever. And then if something strikes me as being worthy of a mix i'll have my my barbecue whatever volume 17 18 whatever it is i can't even remember at this point um and drag songs and drop them in there so by the time summer comes around i already have 50 new songs that fit the criteria to fit in in the vibe and already have uh you know i have like a whole keyword system and everything for my um for my DJ library that allows me to filter uh, my library by, I'll just type in like BBQ mm-hmm. and I have keywords uh, in certain songs that fit the vibe. So I'll just add that new stack into like some stuff from that I didn't get to before or that is just kind of stuff that I've accumulated over the years and kind of put a new playlist together with that. Nice. I always try to plan it out mm-hmm. and sometimes it feels better when I do but sometimes it's just one song flows and you throw something else in and you're like, Oh, that sounds fire. Mm -hmm. Like there's no way I can't put that on there. So it's equally planned and organic, but I think the process is always, is always um, kind of how you accumulate and, and bring in 
um, new options and new music and then have a way to, to reference it later. Um, cause it's one thing to have like a catch all every song, you, I have. every song you uh, like. Yeah. I did that for a while. I just got too hectic Yeah, cause I like too much music, man. Yes, I'd, have, yeah. I'd have a 2000 song playlist every year and yeah. be like, this is too much. Uh, so I try to divide it up. It's also just nice for my own listening to like, uh, have those little sections and categorize, you know, things that just make it easier for me to find what I want. Mm -hmm. Um, cause it's really easy to get lost in the sauce when you have thousands of songs in a playlist in, in your Spotify, or you have, uh, tens of thousands of songs in your DJ library. You got to have some kind of system. And I went probably 75% of my DJ career without a system. Yeah. And then started before COVID and then during COVID really, really flexed on it and took time and effort and audited songs and like re-downloaded songs that were like a crappy bit rate, like mm. all that kind of stuff. And then of course, like by the end of COVID, like I wasn't even DJing that much <laughs> anymore. Yeah. So I kind of just have that system now for making mixes, for events. Um, I have a, I have a night in LA called Feel Good Inc. Uh, with my homie Austin. And that's all like kind of a carryover of one of the nights we did up here, Motown Mondays. And that's all very much um, made easier by having a system where mm -hmm. like, you know, you don't have a set playlist that you can kind of get tired of. It's like if you categorize all your music in ways that it's easy to find, that you have some flexibility and it still fits the vibe. So, yeah, it's worked out quite well, even though I don't DJ full time mm -hmm. anymore. You do graphic stuff more? I or? do. Yeah. Yeah. And we can get into that for sure. That's like a whole nother side of the, the drummer to DJ and the DJ graphic designer pipeline is all, yeah. it's very all tied together. But I think, yeah, I have no regrets about um, kind of doubling down on, on making uh, the creative process easier by doing the work uh, that is hard and long and, and yeah. annoying. But man, once it's done, your life is so much better. Yeah. I'm just now learning like bookkeeping for being a business owner. Bro. I'm like, oh my, I'm just happy that I'm early enough on that I maybe will. Takes time, man. <laughs> takes time. I'm, I feel like I have it figured out. And then, you know, yeah. you, none of us do. Oh my gosh. None of us do. So, where was like your first like regular night in Seattle becoming a DJ? Great question. Um, so, yeah, I would say if the barbecue was one of the like, that mix was one of the things that got people to know me. Um, I had a night with my homie Swerve One called Jet Set back at um, back at the Capitol Club, which is now Sugar Hill, hmm. uh, on a Monday. So we we did like an industry night, hip hop, R and B kind of vibe, and we would host uh, local talent to come and perform um, and rap or sing or whatever. So that was our kind of like weekly clubhouse that's where people really started to get to know me as a DJ and, and like as a, as I guess a player in the city or whatever. Mm. Um, so that then translated towards, um, we were given the opportunity to start a Motown on Mondays, uh, party here. It started in San Francisco. I'm close homies with the guy that, that, uh, Donovan who launched the party, one of the best parties in the world, by the way. Um, and we, we brought it here, we brought it to Capitol Hill and we did it at Bar Sue, RIP and had a five and a half year run there. That was like maybe the best 
a most amazing party I've ever been a part of in my life. Dang. Like that shit was slapping every single week for five and a half years yeah. on a Monday. And we were playing soul, funk, disco, house vibes, like great music. It was like therapy for all of us every week. So between those two off nights, um, and I'll tie this in for advice, like for other DJs too, but, but between those two off nights, that's what kind of started to set me a little bit of a, apart from the, um, the like weekend DJs, mm -hmm. you know, which I would still do. I, there were weeks where I'd DJ four or five nights a week, but those specific parties, and this is my advice, like for you, if you're trying to get into it as well, start your own shit, start mm -hmm. your own party. Um, it's harder. It's more work. It's uh, more risk, but you get to build the crowd. You get to build the crowd you want. You get to you get to create what you want to create. You don't um, necessarily have to be beholden to top forty music if you don't want to. Mm. And if you do it and you do it consistently and you have a bar that's supportive, like it can become something incredible. And like, I think Cap Hill's still because I'm. It's interesting because even though I'm younger, like I don't, I haven't really explored the nightlife because COVID happened, yeah. right? And then like, from like, when did COVID calm down? Like 2021. Uh, yeah. So I for mean, the, I think it's still kind of going. Kind of happened. <laughs> I had COVID in September, so oh, it is still very much here. But like, I don't. I've really just been focusing on growing the podcast and like I DJ also, but mm -hmm. like everything I do is almost too isolated. Yeah, and I'm very I can, picky, I can but relate. but I feel like I need to like Miguel's advice mm -hmm. was because he does a lot of different nights in Seattle that I should if I first thing is if I ever actually want to become a club DJ I should go to clubs to see what they're oh absolutely playing because I don't even go to clubs I don't I, I don't mean, think I've been I maybe I've been to like one club so the number one thing and that's what helped me before yeah. I even started a night was just going out and mm -hmm. and uh not really like being seen so much as like uh, supporting other people mm -hmm. and like making it known that you were a part of the scene and not asking for anything from it until you sort of, you sort of made yourself a part of what it was already there and then you could kind of build on it. Um, so I would always go out and support homies and, you know, learn and sometimes to help other DJs like with their crates or set up their gear or like, you know, there was, there were ways to kind of like get your foot in, test the waters a little bit to see if it was something that you would want to do. Um, so I would recommend absolutely great advice to go, uh, to go see what club life is like. Um, especially if you go when like Miguel's playing, yeah. like he's really fun to see play and, uh, knows how to do that balance I was talking about. Um, and then it just kind of depends. Like, Nightlife is so different. I, I moved four years ago and I talk to DJs here regularly and it's it's not the same. Mm. I think COVID really hurt a lot of it. I think um, obviously the prevalence of DJs in general, like um, DJing as a career has kind of been blurred a mm. bit, you know, between hobby and career. Um, for whatever reason, uh, the DJ rate has stayed the same for about 20 years. Oh God. So inflation has been inflating yeah. and somehow or another, a DJ in Seattle still gets paid two fifty to $400. Like, you like, like union no matter or what, I mean, good luck. It would be amazing. <laughs> we talked about it at one point, but man, I mean, we honestly, when we were doing it, 
when my homie Benny was booking um, The Woods and Rhino Room, uh, when we had homies in Barboza, we had homies like at Q, like everybody was eating uh, and everybody was playing like fun music. The crowds were consistent and Capitol Hill was like slammed every single weekend. And I think, uh, I think a lot of people, a natural transition to just, you know, generational people, uh, get older, the younger generation, I don't think drinks as much mm. as we did, or feels the need to do that. Um, I think the immediacy of like the immediacy of the satisfaction and from music, like people have the ability to listen to whatever song they want at any given time yeah. and can make their own turn up playlist and can turn up in the car or turn up at home mm. and don't have to go to the club to turn up. And oftentimes would rather not because it's Seattle. It's well, <laughs> it's, 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 it's expensive. Yeah. It's um, not always the healthiest thing. Like people have social anxiety. Like, I mean, that was the beauty for me is it was the, it was the, the yin to the yang of my normal, like hermit tendencies. Like mm. I'm a very, uh, I'm very happy being alone. I got plenty of creative skills and trinkets and, and inspiration. And I have, plenty of things I can do to be happy by myself, but DJing made me get out and be mm. social and be, uh, yeah, a part of something bigger than just my apartment, you know? And I think that's still something that's in transition right now. I think Seattle as a city is in transition right now. Um, you know, like I don't want to genders or something. Or? What's that? Like Seattle switching <laughs> no. genders. No, well, I get it. Yeah. switching intentions of like what type of city it wants to be. I think it's. Yeah. I think it's still figuring it out because it's gone a lot of the way of San Francisco, which is price out all the culture, the the important culture that people brought that were here, that were living more affordably and could survive, bartending a few nights a week and being artistically interesting and creative and making life just a lot cooler. Mm -hmm. And then the people that were imported into Seattle for jobs, like for, um, you know, high paying tech jobs, like from all over the country or all over the world, whatever people come in here for jobs and they're kind of socially awkward. They make a lot of money. Um, they don't have any connection to the city. Mm -hmm. Um, and it affects like, the vibe it affects it affects what's possible like i think one of the reasons our monday nights were successful was because most of the people that were there were people that just got done working shifts at the bar all weekend and wanted to go party and they were living on capitol hill because they could pay rent in like a weekend or two you yeah. know what i mean and like you just can't do that anymore dude people look so rich in seattle right now <laughs> right i'm like rich how? in what rich in money but not necessarily rich in culture, culture yeah. and community, which is a bummer because, man, when we, you know, I'm going to sound like an old man, but <laughs> there was a there was a time in Seattle, uh, like 2008, 2009, into the early 2010s, where the music scene, the artist scene, photo, like photographers, like everybody was just blending and like fucking with each other like in the best way like we would just go out to the same clubs we'd collaborate like everybody was putting on shows you could put on a show with your homie for like pretty affordable like pretty cheap because venues were prevalent and they weren't getting priced out with mm -hmm. rent and whatever else so 
there was like a lot of really beautiful things that happened just from like an accessibility standpoint. And like, if you create place and there's enough people, uh, that have like-minded interests or are even have enough free time to go explore those things. Like, I think a lot of people have come to Seattle that have a life that's go work in South Lake Union and go eat at the at the restaurant that's brand new in the condo complex that got built next door. And there's just no like sense of real place or history or it's everything's feels so like everything feels like it just got turned over and it's just like a whole new city in the last 10 years, which is like hard. It's that's one of the reasons that made LA tempting for me was like, yeah. I don't even know if I know any young people that actually live in Seattle, to be honest with you. Like I was, and it's tough. I was with my friend Joe at like one of the restaurants. Uh, I think Glows. I think it was Glows. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is in a new space. Because yeah, they got priced out. And of like their everything old spot. looks super fancy. Yeah, and it I'm like, hit the same. And I'm like, I don't know who any of these people the are same, whatsoever. It could even, I, and this happens with a lot of different places here. It could be the same food. It could be the same staff. It could be the same, whatever. But if it's moved into this new fancy iteration, or like that, just doesn't have the heart and soul it gets lost man and and it's and it's a bummer because like i one thing i will say as i've gotten older is accepting that nothing stays forever i mean mm. everything is change constant like the only way you can be comfortable in life is to be comfortable with everything changing all the time yeah so like i accept and i don't wish seattle would stay the same but i wish some of the elements that made it such an awesome community I heard the same about, you know, grunge in the nineties and like different eras and different cities. It's like, I feel like there was a moment and this is my political science brain mm. coming in in history. Um, there was a moment like we had a mayor, um, that was very progressive. Seattle was, uh, everybody just voted for Obama. Mm. Seattle, uh, voted for like you know $15 minimum wage Washington state legalized weed legalized gay marriage everything kind of i mean Seattle was leading the charge like nationally on everything it was like super progressive um felt like we were doing something right and then not long after that uh the backlash came where they put in kind of like corporate money bags mayor he tore down half capitol hill sold it to developers i mean he didn't but he allowed it to happen like taking taking down like restrictions and and i feel like there's this window where there was this backlash from the seattle i know and and love and it was so drastic it was like two to four years maybe Mm -hmm. um where it completely shifted and i think uh they and I don't, you know, they, whatever. It's like, I think that the, like the corporate kind of powers in Seattle and like political powers that were like, okay, y'all have done enough with the progress. Like, yeah, now it's time to get the businesses in charge again. And, uh, and corporations in particular, like that's what, that's what happened. I think, I think Seattle kind of sold its soul to the big, to the big money and uh like what happened in san francisco and it's mm. happened to a lot of other cities um one of the appeals of la was that it's a very you know creative driven city but like, the morality there is kind of weird right uh, <laughs> i mean that's everywhere anyway. yeah i i think as a as someone who creates for a living works for myself 
um, there's just more opportunity. Yeah. And you're also motivated because all the people down there are following dreams and, um, you know, there's a level of, of hustle and a level of trying to get better at something. Whereas, you know, in a city like Seattle, it can be really supportive for you to a point until you kind of reach sort of like your potential. Yeah. And then there's not a whole lot far where like, there's not much farther you can go because you're all kind of fighting in the same bucket for the same scraps from these like big companies. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I had an era of Seattle that I just hold close to my heart. And when I come home, I still love it. I still love the people here. I mean, obviously it's a beautiful place, but it just hits so different Hmm. than it used to. And I, and I think that's comes through in nightlife, in culture, in like all these things that you're saying, like yeah. it doesn't really motivate you to get out the house, right? It's yeah. like I've been to the I like I go to events, but they're mm. not club events, I guess. But like I've been officially in Seattle for a year, like living on my own without family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't think I've met honestly like a single new person, except like maybe if anything, it allowed me because I was during COVID, I was living in Snohomish in the mm-hmm. middle of the woods with my family. Oh, that sounds great. Though. Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> it was great. And, um, but yeah, I don't. If anything, I've become closer with friends that mm-hmm. I may have fallen off with. But I don't think I've really. And I've tried to meet new people, and I don't think it. I mean, like, this, this yeah. the Seattle freeze is a thing too. Yeah. I mean, people are a little reserved and a little kind of like they got their walls up here. But, I think intentionality if you find um like a community or something like an interests based community mm-hmm. or something that there's a lot of like-minded people that enjoy similar things like whether it's music or art or you know just like some sort of uh way that you know you're going to have something to talk about with people yeah. like that's always really helpful i think um in general uh, a big problem that I've faced in COVID and have kind of had to figure out because I'm not forced to go out of the house and mm. be a DJ anymore. Yeah. Um, is artificial interactions uh, where people get so they get their social fulfillment from a screen and from um, yeah, kind of isolation mm. and that's kind of a negative feedback loop because you are kind of because the nature of the internet is people are assholes at some point and you're kind of like on edge and you're kind of aggro even if you're not an aggressive human being it kind of makes you one Mm -hmm. and you're kind of defensive and like um yeah i i definitely got that through you know the twitter era and whatever else um but if you don't you kind of lose your social skills a little bit. You become a little more um, hesitant to go out and meet new people or like uh, you lose this necessary kind of like, uh, I believe it's, it was referred to in an interview I read, something like this necessary kind of like social friction where you get a little bit more comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. Um and a lot of us, myself included, with COVID and just not being as social as I used to be, you can kind of get uh, everything has to be exactly how you want it or it's it, it feels hard or feels like uh, scary or it feels like it's not worth your time. Yeah. And you got to really 
check yourself because the world is vast and shit's going to happen and you got to be open and trust yourself that you can handle and be your, be you. Mm. And in this day and age with social media and I think obviously the COVID isolation and anxiety and just the world's fucked, man. Like <laughs> we, there's no way we can get around it. It's, yeah. it's depressing. And yeah, a lot of people are, are having a tough time and uh, it's, it can be a little difficult to get out of that funk and go find community or go meet people. And I've, I've faced that moving from here to LA. Like I still face it, but it's a matter of kind of making sure you take your power back in those situations. Like for you saying like you haven't met anyone, like I think. Like I've, I've t- definitely had a ton of podcasts for right, like right, right. and that like is like artist connections mm-hmm. and such but yeah i don't think i've really met anyone but i think yeah. it, uh, like for me what i had to do was kind of instead of passively reflecting on what i was or what was not doing yeah was to take action and just be like i want more friends like yeah. i'm gonna go join this my tennis club in la my this or that like i'm gonna start a monthly and mm. get my dj fix and meet fun people Mm. um and i think it's becoming harder and harder to want to take those like risks and like socially and just yeah it's it it's a lot Mm. life is a lot and it's here and in la i'm sure too like it's like a hundred dollars to leave the house yeah you know what i mean so i can get why people are the way they are but it i just hope for everybody's sake that like that cross pollination and the friction and like where the beauty is made uh can come back a little bit because yeah. at least in seattle i see it's lacking like really a lot do you think seattle's a place for djs to become djs and um, that's a great question yeah. and yes okay absolutely some of the best djs in the world have come from seattle uh, four color zach uh supreme Rock, mm. dj scene uh, I mean, you go you go down the list. There's some incredible DJs throughout the years that have uh, been from Seattle. Jake One, you know, producer DJ, uh, and I think my theory about why Seattle has so much like bottled up potential and creativity is because for seven eight months out of the year, you gotta have an indoor hobby or you're gonna go nuts. Yeah. So. You gotta you gotta be practicing something. Yeah, you gotta have sense. some kind of outlet, uh, preferably something you know generative and and constructive, um, and that has bred a lot of really really talented people. Um, I think it's a it's a city that's known for its music as well. So there's a lot of people that grew up around music here, um, but. I see with the less opportunities for people to showcase their craft and like hone it in ways that are productive towards a, towards a potential career or like for, yeah, the betterment of, of themselves instead of just like, uh, I'm going to go like plug in my controller at this thing and turn up for the homies for a $50 bar tab yeah. Which is, you know, I get it, but also that's 
that kind of slowly makes the scene just like harder and harder for for DJs that are trying to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think accessibility, you know, can also play a part in that. And like, I don't want to downplay or like say it's bad that people have opportunities to like try their hand at stuff, but for people to take it seriously, there needs to be spots that hire serious DJs mm-hmm. and um, pay them because. It's like gatekeeping this a little bit, right? It's kind of, you know, I don't want to call it gatekeeping, but it's, um, I think a level of, uh, a level of like quality that just you want to maintain for like, not only the sake of the art form, but for the ability for people to make a living doing something. Mm. Um, and I think there's always going to be places where people can learn and, and flex their skills and have fun with their friends and do whatever. But I, I do see a lot of like venues and club owners like like at a race to the bottom to just like hire whoever that mm. can like put together a halfway decent playlist that, you know, is basically pushing play on like a jukebox, yeah. you know, instead of like uh, a more creative risk taking, like uh, entertaining DJ, you know, instead mm. of delivering people exactly what they want. Because I think, this culture of of immediacy uh breeds sameness mm-hmm. it breeds a lot of um people wanting to hear the same thing all the time and inserting themselves in everybody's narrative instead of kind of like letting the narrative be something organic um one of the theories i have about uh music in the states versus uh like Europe or somewhere else is like a lot of um, the music that they love to dance to in Europe, even New York is a good example. House, like rhythmic, like disco, whatever, like just really rhythmic, danceable music, like that sometimes doesn't even have words. Mm -hmm. But the act of dancing and the act of going out is like kind of more to lose yourself Mm -hmm. in something bigger and have a good time. And kind of like a therapeutic experience. And in the States, with pop music, with the immediacy of having everything accessible on your phone, um, everything has to have a memory attached to it. Mm-hmm. Everything has to have, uh, I have to see myself in whatever is playing. Mm-hmm. I have to be able to sing along to it. My friends and I have to remember that time that we did this thing to this yeah. song. So there's like an insertion of self in the, in, the in, in like clubbing and in I think social interactions in general that's like kind of a big problem man it's why like, is that the case like why is that even a thing well I think the accessibility to music and and the ability to um control your own soundtrack whenever you want and like the main make, character vibe. Ma- yeah, main, yeah exactly <laughs> it is it is and there's nothing wrong with you know wanting to be the king of your castle and in charge of your life, like by all means have the power to do that. But I think when you're trying to instill your main character narrative on a room full of other people or specifically someone that's up there doing a job to make everyone happy and yeah. not just you happy. Yeah. Um, that's where I've seen a lot of DJs just throw in the towel. Cause they're like, I can't with this crowd anymore. Like they yeah. don't want to have patience to enjoy music. They want to hear what they listen to on the club on the way to the club mm-hmm. and 
like think that they can do a better job than anyone else in here yeah. because everything is so self-driven. Do you even take requests still? Uh, I, I never haven't. I've okay. always taken requests, but you, so here's, here's the key. Yes. Here's a hack. Um, when someone asks you for a request, be kind. Uh, there's, and there's ways to frame it. You say, I don't take requests, but I take suggestions. What you got? Hmm. So you have an out or you say, yeah, I take requests, but it depends. It has to make sense with what I'm doing. Like, um, and you have a way to interact with someone where they're not just mad immediately mm -hmm. by you kind of putting up a wall or like, I, I have a bunch of like really amazing, talented DJ friends that like, that just can like turn into a grouch. Yeah. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like just almost throw bows at somebody that mm -hmm. comes up to them. But I would prefer somebody coming up and asking or talking to me instead of sticking a phone in my face. And uh, I think yeah. that's the thing that's broken a lot of people. Is like, I can't, I can't even enjoy this if every five seconds I'm getting someone shoving a screen in my face, yeah. um, mm. and not even acknowledging like th that an interaction is taking place, like that I'm working and providing a service for you, and if you want something from me, you gotta treat me like a human being. Yeah, um, and I think if you treat guests like human beings. And they treat you like one, then there's always compromises with requests, man. Like mm -hmm. sometimes people make fire requests mm -hmm. that are like a good reminder of, oh, not everyone wants the same bullshit, you know? Not so, at weddings, though. Am I? <laughs> I, I depends on who's getting married. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Depends on who's getting married. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just definitely need more experiences just in general. I feel like even though I have my own business now, I feel like I almost have more free time. So, and I need to be like, I need to make different types of content now, yeah. which I'm excited to do, but I need more experiences and to get out to like even want to make different content. Yeah. You know? Well, I think just uh, from a creative standpoint or as an artist in general, um, art doesn't come from nowhere. It comes mm -hmm. from life. You yeah. got to live your life to be inspired. Yeah. Um, you got to get out and experience things that have nothing to do with work or create creativity or whatever. Um, it's also in your case, like nice that you have an outlet for your creativity that pays mm. and you can have opportunities to fund other aspects of your creativity. A lot of times like having a uh, one, one dynamic of your like creative or your passion that's monetized mm can be a bit debilitating right it yeah. starts to feel like work it starts to be painful to do because it's not what you signed up for uh or if someone has a job and funds their creativity that way like i champion that i love that i mean if there's a way that you can find fulfillment and keep the bills paid that's that's the ticket 100 so how'd you get into graphic design work during yeah so to circle back on that uh i learned kind of got thrown in the deep end, just learned Photoshop in um, high school mm. and did my like senior project, senior thesis on art and advertising on graphic design. And, what like, high school did you go to? By the way? Uh, Hudson's Bay High School in Vancouver, Washington. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, the dirty there. south. <laughs> the dirty south of Washington State. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I uh, 
basically my intention was to go into the graphic arts mm-hmm. like as a career um and kind of had the roundabout way of going to school for for just general studies and then fell hard for music and it just kind of took me like the wave just kind of took me mm-hmm. um but i was never not designing like i was designing t-shirts for my frat i was designing um flyers for my nights for other people's nights for uh other venues i was designing um like yeah mixtape art like nice I think the ability to make your own lane and create things that speak to your personality, um, especially if it's like multifacets of like art, right? So if you make a mix and you not only can theme the mix musically, but you can theme it visually, then you're already miles ahead of a lot of people because, you know, it's like, it's cohesive. Yeah. Um, So I think a lot of DJs, have that art aspect that have, you know, either developed a creative like graphic design side hustle or started in that and DJed as well. Like Four Color Zach, for example, one of the best DJs in the world, also an incredible designer, like mm-hmm. runs his own um, multiple different uh, like clothing brands and uh, like Alive and Well, which I have the hat on right yeah, here. Yeah. Um, like there's a lot of overlap between um multi hyphen creative DJs that do other that do other stuff. And I think they fuel each other. And also from experience, having two two or more different things keeps any one of them from feeling stagnant or like too much of a job. The flip side is if you have ADHD brain like myself. <laughs> sometimes it's hard to task switch and get back on task. Like that's also a thing, but I would, I don't think I'd have it any other way, Mm -hmm. honestly. Um, So graphic design came back heavily into my life um, as a natural progression of like my creative career uh, during COVID. And I fell like, kind of back in the back in the deep end down the rabbit hole of uh wanting to professionalize my side hustle so came up with a name for my creative studio had some different friends like help and mentor me like to get everything kind of professionally put together finally put together a a portfolio like a website took me 15 years of (laughs) accumulating work yeah to finally invest that same skill set into making something for myself. Um, and then once I did that, uh, it was all a process of kind of learning as you go, like trying to professionalize uh, a hobby or a creative passion is, I think the key is just not being afraid to start and feeling like everything has to be perfect before you really take it seriously. Like I think with design, I made plenty of mistakes and, you know, learned the hard way on a few different things, but it taught me a lot. And um, I think also what we were talking about before we got started, it allows you to build a confidence um, through like building my systems, my decks, my presentation, my like the, the type, the ways I communicate with clients. Like there's so much that goes into it. Um, And I think like I was saying with DJing, you just, have to put in that work so you feel confident um 
asking for what your value is. Because mm-hmm. you don't want to feel like you're... I mean, there are some people trust that don't have the talent that fake the funk and, and go far. Yeah. But I'm not built like that. Like, mm-hmm. I have to really believe... <laughs> that I'm good at what I'm doing before I like try to go out and make stuff for other people and charge money for it. So I think that's was always the plan for me was to pivot as I get older from DJing to design. And then COVID just accelerated that. I mean, obviously because we had nothing else. Um, So it was like after daily existential crises during COVID, I finally buckled down and professionalized uh, something I've been doing and had the intent to make my career for 20 years and finally got around to it. So, yeah. <laughs> And is it like going well? Is it you got clients and all that? Yeah, or? man, it's been good. Um, I, I mean, I guess this is a good segue into Shibuya. I um, have had a lot of really great clients. I'm focusing mo- mostly on like branding mm-hmm. and doing uh, brand development, brand design, logo design, uh, websites, uh, all asset creation and even, um, you know, some brand strategy, stuff like that. And that's been really fun. It's been, um, I think where I started as a designer, I was a little afraid of that aspect, um, Mm -hmm. because it's the most, it's the highest risk, highest reward. Uh, it's just very, uh, time intensive and like really creatively taxing, but so rewarding. Mm -hmm. Like, um, so I think once I found that this was the transition and what I wanted to like get into, I started really enjoying the process of like getting to know a client and getting to know what they're trying to do and witness their vision that they might even not really fully have realized in their head come into, come into this beautiful, like iteration of like a visual, like representation of that, like a logo or a website or whatever it's just a really fulfilling process to do so that leads me to um the shibuya stuff mm-hmm. which you interviewed yes. interviewed my guys a few like a month ago a few weeks ago yeah um so i had done all the uh club flyers for havana for years and that uh quentin yeah. yeah quentin and brian um, and I've known Brian for years as a DJ, uh, and he's been a mentor for, um, digital marketing, like all aspects of my, like kind of turning my creative passions into a career. Um, Quentin was doing something similar to me where post COVID he was professionalizing one of his like things he kind of did as a side hustle, which was, uh, interior design. Mm. So he had me do his full suite of uh, creative and branding for his uh, Studio Q um, interior design company, which was so fun. Mm -hmm. And like we just clicked like we'd already been homies and like I'd been working and he loved my designs for Havana. So he trusted me with that. And then that working process with him was just great. Like it was so fun. He loved everything I did. Like we really, really got along great and like creatively saw eye to eye. So when the time came for um, him and Brian to make a pitch to take over uh, this space, which I already have a history with, that was Cedar Room, yeah. which I used to uh, help design the logo for that that yeah. space back in the day, and was the uh, kind of like creative director, designer, resident DJ, talent booker for that spot. 
So to have those two guys come in and trust me after just working with Quentin to brand this new idea and pitch, um, pitch it to the owners of the building um, immediately. I was like, hell yes, I'm so down. This idea is right up my alley, like mm. design plus music plus like vinyl, 100%. Yeah. So we put together an amazing uh, little presentation packet uh, that they slipped into a record sleeve and like gave it to the owners like in some cool like kind of creative way. Yeah. And we turned that around in like a day or two and just they appreciated my commitment to the cause and, and their vision and how I was able to turn it around so fast. So naturally they asked me to to brand it and design it they had the name but um yeah we did some mood boards we did some talking like obviously the concept is the concept like kind of have a sandbox to play in already and we just clicked i mean everything was so smooth like oh yeah i did four or five different logos i think and we chose one but we're keeping all of them for merch future use like if they want to eventually do like a record and print or mm -hmm. like you know it's just toot my own horn they were all fire <laughs> they all liked them and uh it was tough to pick a favorite but um because i had that rapport with them and understood the concept because i'm so just deeply involved in vinyl culture and music and cocktail culture and mm -hmm. whatever um, that process came naturally and the results, uh, spoke for themselves, man. It was like when, when all that clicks, like beautiful things can happen. So, um, I did the branding and then was able to kind of like approach them to become a partner because, uh, I love working with them. I love, you know, not only the concept, but just the idea of using my creativity for ownership in things and feeling like pride in, in that and, uh, trusting them too. You know, I've, I've invested in and put a lot into other people's ideas and businesses and it go bad. So it's all about knowing the people you want to work with, how you guys work together and everything just kind of came together from the concept to the people to the design process to like mm. me advocating for myself that I wanted to be, you know, have a little bit of stake and like be a part of it um, to and contribute. I, and that's how I met you too. I met you. At yeah, you, you met me there. Yeah. And uh, and I wasn't able to sit in on that interview, but this we wouldn't have been able to do yeah. this one on one. So I'm very thankful for that. But I. I was in town this weekend and did a and did a listening session, uh, two listening sessions. It's been it's been booming. They're all sold out, and um, the hi-fi room they've built in there is just like incredible. Um, I see this as a natural progression of like me as a human, uh, my music side, my design side, my like interpersonal and business side, and kind of like. Um, yeah, seeing my own value and kind of standing in it. Um, that's a natural progression for me. And then the concept of Shibuya mm -hmm. for the community and for like the aging population of the people that I surround myself with, like the opportunity for um, good music, intentional listening, good conversation um, and good cocktails, great vibes, all the above. Um 
bringing back that that kind of like intentional act of listening and appreciating albums as a whole and kind of uh yeah in in exercise in in presence and i got to feel that again this weekend and it's like i i see that as a trend that i really like mm. of these vinyl bars these listening bars that are popping up kind of all over the states and you know it's maybe even borderline some people might consider it like a fad hmm. but i don't see it like that because there's a lot of people like you're saying love music love aspects of uh like social atmosphere and having a good cocktail or having a good conversation but mostly that's been relegated to like club life yeah and I'm tired of club life. I lived it. It is great. But, and I can see in the younger generation, they're not really as into it as a lot of us were um, back in the day. So this great uh, transition between like what it means to be kind of like socially integrated in a music scene or in like a bar scene and like kind of bringing a new definition to that and i think making it be a little bit less hectic and just more casual and mm -hmm. fun and um yeah intentional and just bringing it back to the music you know so yeah. that all made a lot of sense to me and it's clearly clicking because people are loving it and it's only getting better you know yeah. we're only in month two and a half or something like yeah, that yeah it's sick. crazy I, I think it's a super cool place yeah what's it like being a seattleite living in la and do you think that's going to be like a long-term place for you? Well, to answer your first question, um, I am definitely a citizen of the West Coast. Mm. I travel between Seattle and L.A. often, uh, monthly pretty much. And like I was saying, there's a lot of things that are amazing about L.A. creatively and um, career-wise. Obviously, the weather's great. Mm. Like, uh, it's such a change to not have seasons yeah uh to not be able to floss in all my great winter and fall outfits um and i love the weather you know i've i i've taken advantage of it um been learning how to surf uh love camping love biking go play tennis twice a week with the homies like things you just can't do in seattle mm. that um i appreciate a lot about la and i think LA is a city where you have to find those things because it's so expensive and kind of can be isolating mm -hmm. that you have to find those things that make it worth living there and do them often to do them enough to warrant the price of admission and everything that comes with it. Uh, and then, yeah, creatively, it's very, the anonymity of it is cool coming from kind of small town, mm -hmm. like Seattle's not a small town, but if you're in a creative community or in community with people here, it can kind of feel a little small. For sure. Um, and yeah, I come back just enough that I get my Seattle fix. I get to go hit all my pho restaurants. I get yeah. to eat in the ID. I get to go see all the homies, new restaurants and new endeavors and see friends and family. I just went to Bainbridge last night and got my little fairy moment. Like, cold wind in my face you know yeah. it's like i get it enough that i'm happy to come and i'm happy to leave and i think that balance is uh rare and like i feel pretty lucky and grateful for it um you know just the goals this year are just to 
earn more, so I don't feel like living in two cities is so hard yeah. financially. But um, that's a cool place to be, though. Damn. No, I can't. I I have a lot of uh, I have a lot of gratitude, and I don't think I give myself enough credit sometimes for how I was able to set that up and to be able to work for myself and make money from two different creative fields uh, and live kind of simultaneously in two different places and somehow pull it all off. Like I definitely feel like, you know, feeling the weight of all this inflation and everything that's happening. And I think a lot of us are, but I still got to pause and be like, look what you got. Look what you've been able to do. Look at the life you live even if it can be a little taxing and be a lot to be on the move all the time. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool, man. Fuck yeah. Yeah. And with that, what is some final advice you have for up and coming artists, creators, DJs, influencers? Yeah, I think, um, keep trying until you find something that fits who you are. I think, um, building, uh, if it's a career or just a hobby, finding something where you can communicate a core like part of you that is that the world needs to have you know like a lot of people um can sort of sacrifice certain things about themselves to make it whatever that means and i just think as long as you have that element of authenticity and um not be afraid to to be a little different mm. that's what's going to make people resonate with you instead of chasing after the people the people will chase after you or the right people will chase yeah. after you it might not be the same amount of people but you'll have a lot more um longevity you'll have a lot more authentic interaction and you'll have a lot more fulfillment because the people that fuck with you really do like really do mm. and i forget sometimes and mm. I get messages from people if I just put out a playlist or put out a mix and like how much that does mean to people. Like I forget because I just feel like it's something that I do, you know, and I mm. enjoy doing it. But you forget that the enjoyment of other people in what you do is kind of the reason you you do it. You're, yeah. you're trying to like provide an inspiration and uh, happiness, you know, and it has to come from an authentic place. So I think finding that authenticity, um, start your own thing. If you're a DJ, yeah. don't be afraid to start a party. That's really the way you can do that. Create your own vibe. Um, and as a artist or a designer, I think don't be too precious. Don't be, and this is, I'm telling myself this too. Don't hoard your art. Like don't be afraid to share, even if it's not, your best work. People like to see progress. People like to see your story. Um, and don't be, don't be hoarding the good stuff, you know, just put it out there and you'll see, you'll see what happens. Yeah. Hell yeah. And where can people find you? What's the easiest place to reach you at? Yeah. So my DJ, uh, life lives at, uh, at DJ 100 proof, uh, DJ 100 proof.com. Mixcloud.com slash DJ 100 proof is where all my uh, mixes live. And as a creative, uh, my little creative studio is called Pretty Pretty Good. And that can be found at prettyprettygood.co.co uh, or at prettyprettygood.co. And 
I'm telling myself I need to share more of the stuff I've been doing the past couple of years because it's very dated. So mm. check back because you'll probably see some new stuff soon. Um, but that's that's pretty much it. Fuck yeah. This has been the NAS Podcast with... Jeff Lawrence, DJ 100 Proof. And we did it. <laughs>